We're going to get into Romans. We're in chapter 6 tonight, and uh, we're going to do a lot of work here. We're only going to get through four verses tonight. <laughs> so, But we're, we're going to try to explain some details. Now, later on in Romans, we'll, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. But these early chapters, I think it's important for the believer as we try to understand these things. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the verses we're going to sp- uh, learn about tonight, and then we'll get into it. Uh, we'll pray and we'll get into the, the study for tonight. So here we go. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and this wonderful encouragement that Paul has for us as he helps us to understand the marvelous work that you've done for us on that cross and through rising from the dead. We thank you so much and we we pray, Lord God, that you might lift and encourage spirits tonight, that uh, those who are living in ongoing sin would be convicted and repent and turn toward you. And Lord, that that we as believers might just rejoice in the fact that this work has been finished. And so we thank you. We ask you to give us understanding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight as we get into this chapter, chapter 6, I I gave you some words that are key words two weeks ago just in preparation. And the first key word that we're going to barely start to touch on tonight is knowing. Uh, So we're going to be looking at the knowing phase as we get into tonight's study. Next week we'll get into it a little bit deeper, but uh, it's, it's important that we understand that we know what our position is in Christ. And this is really important because I really believe that as we, as you understand this, you're going to feel the burden of guilt lift off of you and if you're one who struggles with continual sin, you should feel the burden of that lift off of you and be able to feel, uh, have some victory over those areas in your life. So Paul is actually asking a question, and he's kind of anticipating this question from other people. Uh, and so the question is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the first thing we want to ask ourselves is, what is the occasion for him asking this question? And that's where we ended in chapter 5, as as Paul was uh, uh, giving us that wonderful encouragement in chapter 5, as we learned about the law versus uh, grace in our lives. If you go back to verse 20, this is the the occasion for the question being asked, moreover, Uh, Romans 5.20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So go back to verse 20 and just leave it up for a minute, Garrett. Here as, 
as Paul is ending chapter 5, he helps us understand that the law, grace uh, precedes the law. But the law helps us understand what sin is. And, And when we understand what sin is, when we understand the offense, it actually adds to the offense, right? Uh, certainly, we already have the offense against us, but once we actually know, thou shall not covet. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of growing up under King James. Uh, you shall not covet. Uh, when, when, we, when we understand you shall not covet, and yet our heart does it anyway, or we have disregard when, when we're to- told not to bear false witness, and we do it anyway, or we're, we're told not to commit adultery, and Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if a man looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's guilty of this, and we realize we're doing it intentionally, boy, it sure seems like the offense abounds even more. Like we're more guilty than we started because the law is there. And we use that illustration of, of uh, a stop sign because when there was no stop sign, you still were expected to be safe and look for other drivers, but as soon as the stop sign was put up, now the offense is greater when you run through it, and now you have to pay a harsher penalty, right? Okay, and so the idea here is that Paul, Paul says that, hey, listen, when the law entered, the offense abounded. But listen, where sin abounds, here's the victory we have in Jesus Christ. Grace abounds all the more. That means that God's grace for you and for me is able to, to overcome all that sin is doing in your life. Now, that's a victory, dear Christians. It's an amazing victory for you so that you and I don't have to go through life with this terrible guilt over our head because sin is abounding. No, no, no. Jesus, grace has abounded all the more. So that's the occasion for the question. Now Paul's anticipating what someone might say in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, some people may have this idea that, well, hey, you know what? Hey, I, I, I want grace to abound more, so I should sin more. I should purposely make choices to do offensive things so that grace can just all the more abound. So next time my wife asks me for a favor, I'll just tell her, shut up, woman, right? And when she gets mad at me, I'll say, hey, grace is abounding. Why are you upset, right? No, anyway, <laughs> I would never say that. You guys are already mad at me just for, for joking about it. Uh, but, but the whole idea, Paul says, certainly not. He actually gives an emotional response to this anticipated question. No way. You, no way. That is not the mind at all of a person who's received the grace of Christ. No way. So right away, let me just say this. If you have approached the grace of God in, with this attitude, you're way off. Because that attitude fails to understand God's wonderful plan of salvation. Remember, Jesus died for us, and we're told that when we believe on him, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. And it's certainly not God's plan of salvation to leave you dead in your sins and transgressions. Rather, it's to 
bring you and do this work of sanctification in you, making you holy. So he says in in the second part of verse 2, after saying certainly not, he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And uh, you can put up Romans 6, 2 if you would. Uh, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Maybe. Uh, So this is a good question. And it's important that we understand this question when we live out our daily lives. If I'm in Christ, how, if I've died to sin, can I live any longer in it? Now, we're not talking about that you never sin, okay? So, whew. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a moment as we continue on. But what we're talking about positionally, where you're at in Christ, as far as Christ is concerned, as far as God is concerned, you have died to sin. You're dead, okay? And once dead, how can you live any longer in it, right? You've died to that. So, so that, as far as God is concerned, positionally you're before him, and, and it's not possible anymore for the dead man to just continue on being okay with ongoing sin in the life and not caring at all about who you are in Christ. See, you're a new creature, a new creation. And it, it, if we try to continue living in sin, not only do we fail to understand God's plan of salvation, but we actually demean the finished work of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, Christ died for a reason, to reconcile you and myself to God, to, to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the Bible tells us, to, to, to pay the penalty for our sin and to do this wonderful work of sanctification in our lives. That means to set us apart to him. And when we just walk in sin, or we try to continue in sin, having, been, having died to it, we demean that finished work of Christ. More than that, we just totally misunderstand the grace of God. You know, when we start to understand this, this passage, uh, as we, we understand the grace of God, it, it should naturally bring about this question. So do we sin more? so that grace can abound? If we preach the grace of God correctly, if we share the gospel accurately, this is gonna be a natural conclusion. So I should keep sinning? Okay, certainly not. No, no, no. But what I'm trying to help you understand is that this should be a natural conclusion to the wonderful gift that Jesus Christ has given to us and the newness of life that he's given to us, and it's all about him. It's his grace. It's us believing in him, okay? So, so we have a hard time with this. We're always going to have a hard time. We're always going to struggle with trying to work in some way for this wonderful grace, and you cannot. It is the free gift of God to all who believe on his name. Now, what are we looking for here? We're not saying that the You'll never sin again. We know that 
that time will come when he's finished with you. And when are you finished? (laughs) Well, certainly when you're done with this body, you're finished, okay? Uh, And so all your life, you're going to be progressing as far as you see. But I want you to understand that as far as God sees positionally, you are in Christ. And we'll talk about that more as we get into verses 4. But there are some inadequate views of dealing with and living in sin. And I do want to tackle this for a moment because some people believe that you can just eradicate the sin nature. That you can, that no, no, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So therefore, I no longer sin. Yeah, right. (laughs) Should we ask your wife? Should we ask your husband? Should we ask your mom? or your sibling, or your dad, right? Uh, Those people who are closest to us know best that, yeah, you still sin, right? We all know that. So good luck trying to convince people that uh, I mastered it. I no longer sin. It's not possible. Because uh, Paul says in Galatians, not only did we receive our salvation, the forgiveness of sin by his grace, but also the work of sanctification is by grace. It's all by grace, by God's grace, that he is setting you apart, that he is is doing this work of making you holy. It's all by his grace. And so we look to him for the for for the help, for the healing, for the victory. Another another way that people have tried to uh, deal with sin is asceticism. Of course, we had the monastic movement where everybody decided, you know what? If I'm going to be holy, i got to go live in a cave somewhere by myself. <laughs> the problem is you went. <laughs> you know, there, there was that famous uh, uh, man, uh, Simeon Stylites. He lived 37 years on a, a pole. He had built a platform, and he was on this pole. And for 37 years, he lived up on this flat tower, and everybody was really moved by him. I think he died in like 459 uh, AD or something like that. But uh, he lived up there for 37 years trying to perfect the sin nature, trying to, trying to deal with himself. And the best way he could deal with himself was put himself up in a tower. Well, that's not going to work. The problem is he took himself up on that tower. <laughs> He's still there. Asceticism doesn't work. What about legalism? Maybe, maybe legalism would work better. We, we start saying, don't taste, don't touch, don't smell. And so even though God doesn't say something is a sin, we start putting fences around it and saying, okay, as long as I don't cross that fence, then I'll never get to the actual sin. And so we just make a new border and boundary to be rebellious with. Right? Legalism doesn't work. And everybody who's, who tries legalism, what we find is they break the law. They just break their own laws. That's, that's what happens because they're sin nature. More so than that, Paul, in dealing with the Judaizers in Galatians, uh, he basically says, you know what? If you're going to move forward now of your own merit, you're cursed, buddy. You're on your own. You, you are outside of Christ if you're going to try now to move forward in the flesh and by legalism. No, you've got to continue on in faith in Christ Jesus. You can't do it. 
Uh, you can read Galatians. Galatians is actually, the first few chapters of Galatians is a great, cha- uh, great uh, 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 complement to this chapter in chapter 6. Because Paul is going to deal with all those issues in those first few chapters. Uh, because he's dealing with these Jews who have come in saying, great, we're glad you started in grace. We're glad you started in faith. But now you've got to continue on in keeping the law. And Paul says, no way. In fact, he goes on to use pretty harsh language. He says, I wish those people who want to circumcise everybody would go all the way and circum- go all the way on themselves. Cut it all off. That's what <laughs> Paul kind of, it definitely got him frustrated. Um, so legalism doesn't work. Self-crucifixion. That's another way, right? We can try to get rid of sin. We can eradicate sin in our lives, self-crucifixion. We, we can just uh, continue crucifying the flesh. And by the way, the, the, the passage in Galatians is, I have been crucified with Christ. Um, not, I am crucifying myself with Christ. No. There's a, there's a problem with self-crucifixion. Have you ever tried it before? No, you guys haven't, have you? So you get maybe your feet nailed, and you get this hand nailed, but then the problem is you just can't handle getting this one nailed, right? It just never fully works. You can't do it on your own. Poor Larry, I'm sorry, I didn't even think about you, Larry. You you can't even get this hand nailed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I saw Larry laughing back there. No, we, we can't do it on our own. Well, then there's the other option is we just blame everything on demons, right? Oh, it's the demon of whatever sin. It's the demon of, of lust. It's the demon of the love of money. It's the demon of covetousness. It's the demon of these things, and we just blame everything on demons, and we try to exercise all the demons in our lives, and that doesn't work either. So Paul says, do you not know that, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is wonderful, and we're going to spend some time on verses three and four because it really helps us answer this idea and helps us better understand how we have died to sin, how this, this has happened. And, and we're, again, we're not saying that you're not gonna ever sin. In fact, I'm sh- confident that between now and tomorrow, everyone in here will sin in some way, okay? I'm just confident, I hope not, but I'm just saying, I, I just know, know who we are. But we're looking for forward progression. So let's look at this for a minute. Do you not know? Here's where we start to enter in the knowing phase. As many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So let's talk about what it means to be baptized. This is important. The Greek uh, word for baptism is actually built between two words. And it's bapto, which means to dip. Okay, or to die. Now, this is D-Y-E, not D-I-E, to, to dye something, change the color, okay? And idzo is the process of. So 
really, actually, the King James Bible translators made up the word in English. The, the English word didn't exist until they started translating the Bible. So they just took the Greek word and, and uh, turned it into an English word. Uh, they just took how it was phonetically spelled and said, baptize, okay? And so the word actually didn't exist in English prior to the translation of the King James Bible. But they created this word baptize out of the Greek word, which means to the process of dipping or dyeing something, okay? Well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an illustration. And I've shared this with you before. Uh, so if you've heard this before, just hang in there. But if I have a white shirt on and I dip it into red dye, I no longer identify this shirt as white, do I? If I'm telling my kids to go get my blank shirt, I would say go get my red shirt. It's now identified as red, okay? So it's an identity thing. And the basic meaning of baptism is about identification, okay? So let's do a little Bible study on baptism because there's different baptisms in the Bible. Specifically, I think we can find seven different baptisms in the Bible, all different things. But there's a, there's a key that we're going to ask uh, when we think about baptism. Who is being baptized? Okay, that's one of the questions we're going to ask. And who are they being identified with? Or what are they being identified with? Okay, that's kind of the questions that we ask. So one of the first instances of baptism, or, or some things we can look at, is a real experiences. And so suffering would be the first one. Matthew twenty twenty two, uh, Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Now, this was in response to the, them asking, hey, can we sit at your right and at your left? Can we, can we have a great place uh, in the kingdom? And he says, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What, what was he speaking about? He is speaking about the crucifixion. That's what Jesus was speaking about. Are you able to do this? Are you able to go through what I am going to go through, this suffering? And, of course, the, the disciples, always ever <laughs> excited and ready to go, they said, we are able. No. But, of course, we do know that later on they'll be quite changed and, and God will use them and many will be martyred. Um, Another baptism would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 11, verses 13 through 18. Uh, We read, And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simeon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, And as upon us at the beginning, then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? 
When they had heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, they also granted the Gentiles repentance to Peter is retelling what happened to Cornelius, the, the, the Roman, and as he's telling this story, he's talking about how he, he, he went and spoke to this Gentile, actually went into the Gentile's house because God had given them this vision to go. And as he was sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit descended upon the whole family and Peter saw it was just like us. So who were they being baptized by? The Holy Spirit. But the question is, who were they identified with? The other believers. That's who they were identified with, the rest of the believers. And so Peter comes to the conclusion, or sorry, the early church comes to the conclusion that, hey, if they glorify God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, which puts us all a part of the church and one in Christ. We also see a baptism by fire in Scripture. And remember, bapti- the key word with baptism is identification. I indeed baptize you with water, Matthew 3, 11. Uh, baptize you with water into repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this is interesting because what is John speaking about here? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I personally think that John is, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit or judgment. You're going to be identified with one or the other. Throughout Scripture, fire is often uh, identified, or fire is synonymous with judgment. And, and so as John is speaking about uh, uh, calling people to repentance, remember his message is, uh, I, I baptize you with water unto repentance. John went about saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is, is near. Okay, he was getting everybody ready for Messiah. And, and the people were coming out to John from all over. And what was he saying? He was saying, repent. And so the people came out and they said, okay, I repent. And they were baptized in the Jordan. And they went back saying, I'll be a better Jew. I'll keep the law better. That was the idea of repentance. And so as John is sharing his message, he says that Jesus will come and and you're either going to be identified with, with the Holy Spirit or you'll be identified with judgment. That's my personal take on that. Then Moses. Moses also had a baptism. This one's really interesting because this one is a different kind of baptism altogether. First uh, Corinthians 10 verse 2 says, all, speaking of Israel, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So we know that they all crossed over on dry land. They crossed through the Red Sea in dry land, right? But they were also baptized. Maybe this is baptism in the mist. I'm joking. Um, Sorry, it was a bad joke. Uh, (laughs) 
So here we see that there was a baptism that happened, an identification when Israel crossed the Red Sea. So who were they identified with? Moses, right? The law, the covenant at Sinai. These all, Israel. Who was being baptized? Israel. Who were they being identified with? Moses. Of course, there was the baptism of Jesus. I'm going to turn over to Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, uh, and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here's the question. Who is being baptized? It's Jesus. Or what is he being identified with? Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Did Jesus sin? No. In fact, he's the only man that could be perfectly righteous. He's the only one who was able to actually fulfill righteousness. So who was he being identified with? Us. Jesus was being identified with us. Remember, what is he, how is he going to, who is he fulfilling all righteousness for? For you and for me. He's being identified with us. So that he would good okay, we get to the believer's baptism. <clears throat> this is different from John's baptism. John baptized for repentance, but you is for something different. It's not the baptism of Israel through the Red Sea that we experience. And it's not the baptism of Jesus that we experience because Jesus was baptized to identify with us. And it's not the baptism of John who called everyone to repentance and we said, we'll say, okay, we'll be better Jews, we'll be better law keepers. No, the baptism, baptism. Acts 2.38 says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we see that the believer is being baptized or identified with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so Paul writes here in Romans 6.3, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Oh, sorry, we're baptized into his death. Paul is making an assumption here. 
as he's helping us understand this idea of victory over sin through God's grace, that we no longer just continue on in sin and walk in sin, he said, do you not know that as many of us, what's the assumption? That we've all been baptized, who he's speaking to. That we've all identified with Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the, you and I have all, we have been identified with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's about this public profession of faith. You know, um, today in church and Harvest Crusades, we do altar calls, right? Okay. If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Everybody stand up. If you want to be uh, saved, come forward. Uh, come down on the field. You guys, we've all seen that, right? And, and this is that. But that's actually a relatively new trend in the truly new. We're talking the 1800s. It started. Uh, so relatively new. So that means that 1800 years prior of church history, nobody had altar calls. Nobody stood up. Nobody made a profession of faith and walked down on the field. (laughs) So how were people identified with Christ? Through baptism. That was the means of making your public profession of faith. And so, so we see it in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that when people believe, what happens? They're baptized. They, they, they uh, take part in that wonderful profession of faith through baptism. Romans 10, 9 through 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a wonderful public profession. So in... Uh, in Acts, when Philip uh, uh, shares uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12 with that Ethiopian eunuch, it says, but when they believed Philip, sorry, when, when he's uh, preaching to all the, all the people, but when they believed Philip as he preached in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were, there it is. When they believed, when they now, we know that baptism is the work of Jesus Christ. But baptism is Christ. And that's why Christ commands it. That's what we're supposed to do. As believers, we're supposed to be baptized. Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make disciples, baptize them, identify them with, with the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, uh, now, First Peter 3.21 says, this is also... An antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so 
we see that, that baptism represents this pledge of a good conscience toward God um, through this, this process of the experience of baptism. So back to Romans 6.3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? And then we get a therefore. Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Friends, those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ are dead to sin. You no longer live in it. Okay? This is important for you to understand because Christ has completed the work. And I know you and I still see the struggle. But as far as God is concerned, you are dead to sin. Okay? Now, what do we do now? If we've died to it, now we live unto Christ. Because uh, we've been raised in newness of life. And when someone walks, we're talking about a lifestyle, life that we are now living in Christ. So if you struggle and you, you stumble and you fall down, you praise Jesus that he's given you newness of life and you no longer live in the old way that would just continue on in sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We walk now in newness of life. It's a really wonderful idea that you and I no longer have to be bound by that or carry the guilt of that, the weight of that. So what does newness of life actually look like in us? Well, I'll tell you this. When we sin against a brother or sister, how do we respond in newness of life? Well, we recognize where we're culpable. We seek forgiveness to reconcile. We do it differently. When we're attacked, how do we walk in newness of life? We listen to our Savior. He's modeled it for us. We don't just fight back and lash back out. We turn the other cheek. We walk in newness of life. This goes in all things in our lives. And by the way, the scriptures are full of the put-ons. Every time the scripture tells you what not to do, this is what you're to put off, this is the sin nature, there's always a list of what to do, how to put on, how to love, love the other, how to love God in your life. And this is walking in newness of life. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. So, nature, the, the old nature, we don't lash out and get angry. I'll tell you, uh, one thing about marriage is our spouses are an incredible mirror of all we have. Okay, and I'm not saying that spouses are trying to show off all your flaws, but, but truly, we see our flaws because we always hurt the people 
goal or lash out at the people closest to us, right? And so our spouses are a wonderful mirror to us. That we, you know, every time we're about to blame our spouse for something, there's an issue that you've got yourself, <laughs> okay? And, and, and it kind of can start to show. And so God has given us help to help us with our sin nature. So what does that mean? It means we don't justify it anymore. But we recognize that, hey, I must need to repent of this sin, this attitude, this rebellious area of my life. I've got to submit this to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the right way to handle it. Uh, We walk in newness of life. Even when it comes to friends, siblings, neighbors, as we interact with, with others, we can certainly see the old life. Jesus gave this advice about dealing with others. She be judged. Matthew 7 1. And then Matthew 7 5. Hypocrite. First remove. Then you can see clearly to help your brother remove this. So we've got to deal with self first. And that's New, walking in newness of life. We're no longer just pointing the finger at everybody else telling they're the problem, they're the problem, or, or this is the problem. We're blaming our excuses for our, our sin nature. No, we just, we recognize that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, all this to say as we close to the question for you. Have you been baptized? If you have not been back with Christ into his death and been in newness of life, it's time to get baptized. And you say, well, wait a minute. I've, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I probably shouldn't do it now. No, you should do it all the more. Time to make that area of your life uh, obedient to Christ's command. So the service, if you want to get baptized, so we can do this, but who walk in Christ, who claim Christ, should be baptized into Christ, identified with him in his death, his, the newness of life that we get through the resurrection. All right, that's Romans 6, 1 through 4. That was a lot. It's something to think about and chew on. I promise you we will start speeding up after 6, but there's a lot here in 6, so we're going to move. Uh, I think we've got about more of the knowing phase, about this idea of this progression in Christ and that, uh, that what it means to be crucified with the flesh. And then we're going to Christ, and it's quite wonderful. So uh, it's exciting for that. And, uh, and we will continue next week. So let's go ahead and pray, and, and then we'll uh, finish off with worship. Lord, we do thank you so much for the work that you've done in us. And for us, and uh, Lord, you know what? Let me ask this question. If you've been walking as the old man, you've been struggling with sin. I want you to confess that to the Lord Jesus. I believe that there's some in here tonight that need to surrender. 
you have forgotten that Christ has given you newness of life. And I want to encourage you to surrender that right now. Confess that to the Lord. Lord, we thank you that you paid the price for us. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of unrighteousness. Lord, we rejoice at this newness of life. We thank you, Lord, that you've out to you. Lord, we thank you for the affirmation that you are our of that newness of life because we get burdened by sin. Thank you for the wonderful work you've done for us. Pray now, Lord, that as each and every one leave here this this evening, that they can just be rejoicing that you have done the work. You have have done it all, and you will continue. And then on that day when we're complete, <laughs> we're just going to give you all the praise and all. We're going to cast our crowns right before you, because you've done this. We thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we close in this time of worship. I want to encourage you, whatever you might struggle with, you need to know that you have to continue living in it. Paul writes this in his closing words. Church, for in Christ Jesus, neither nor un- Uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God bless you.